Uh, I'm going to interrupt the scripture reading uh, and stitch together the context. So let me pray uh, before we read as we come uh, to God's word this morning. Let's pray. Yeah, Father, again, as we come um, to your word this morning, uh, we ask as we as we do every week that you would um, speak to us, that you would teach us. We're not we're not bright enough to look at your word and read it and and see what we need to see and and understand without without the spirit of revelation, the Holy Spirit opening up our eyes and and revealing you and revealing ourselves to us and also softening our hearts that we would receive what it is you wanted to speak to us and so we pray for that work again of the Holy Spirit to be teaching us this morning. For, for the work of softening our hearts to receive your word. And, and we thank you that you, you're the God who speaks life-giving words to us. And so as we come, uh, as Thanks was saying, if they're at maybe near the end of a year, we, we struggle with attention. Many of us are weary. We pray that as we sit now under your word, that you, our Father, would speak life-giving words to us, that our souls would be encouraged and helped in Jesus' name. Amen. I didn't get a lot of sleep last night. But did I hear a dog? Okay. Cool. Everyone's welcome, yeah? There is a dog, yeah. Excellent. We have a church dog. Whose dog is it? I'm getting totally distracted. Okay. I'm getting distracted with the dog. Um, today we are looking at Zachariah's uh, song. It's the songs of Christmas. Um a series that we're doing. We last week we looked at Mary. This week we're looking at Zechariah. Let me give you the backstory um, to Zechariah's uh, song because it's uh, it's helpful. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing. We'll just read the song part. But um, Zechariah, uh, this is by way of reminder for for maybe for many of you. You'll know the story. Uh, he's serving uh, as a priest on rotation. Uh, there were a lot of priests. Um, and so they kind of served on, on rotation. It was like a lottery kind of thing, um, draw lots just to see who gets to go in and do this stuff. And anyway, it falls on him. He gets to go into the, the temple um, and offer incense and stuff. And while he's there, uh, Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, appears to him and tells him, listen, um, you, you're going to have a you're gonna have a son. Uh, similar to sort of the Abraham, Sarah thing. He's really old. They haven't had a kid. Uh, and promises him, you're going to have a son, and you're going to call him John, uh, and he's going to do all these kinds of things. Um, and, you know, as is sort of the human condition, um, Zachariah doubts Gabriel. He's like, how, how am I going to be sure this is going to happen? You know, I'm, I'm a bit old. Uh, we've been trying. It's not working. Uh, how can I be sure that this is actually going to happen? I mean, the fact that an angel is speaking to him, you would think would be convincing, uh, but humans are strange. We're all a bit odd like that, and I think we'd probably be similar to Zechariah. We'd also want, like, can you give us some proof? And so Gabriel says, okay, cool, I'll give you some proof. You're not going to be able to speak for the next nine months. Uh, there'll be some proof. Uh, you're going to leave this place. You won't be able to communicate with anyone for nine months. Um, that's perhaps why they ended up falling pregnant, uh, I'm not sure. I don't want to infer into the story things that aren't there. 
but I do want to observe that this must have been the most peaceful pregnancy. Imagine being pregnant and your husband cannot speak a word to you for nine months. I mean, he dodged a bullet here, I think. He couldn't put his foot in it. He couldn't say, lovey, you're looking a bit, whatever, nothing. He just couldn't say anything for nine whole months. I mean, lesser is this man. It, it says that until um, verse 20, it says, Now listen, Gabriel system, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place because you do not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Um, and a lot of people believe that because when they motioned to him later on, I'm forward in the story when John is born, it says that they motioned to him uh, about uh, what um, the, the child's name should be. And many people believe that not only was he unable to speak, but he was unable to hear. That's why they had to motion to him because he couldn't hear. So many people believe that God struck him deaf and dumb. So he was in complete silence. I actually believe, I agree with that um, assessment. That he's in complete silence. He can't hear anything and he can't speak for at least nine months. Um, and this is not what the sermon is about. But coming out of that nine months of silence, it says he's filled with the Spirit and he launches into this incredible prophetic song that we as a church churches throughout history have been studying for 2000 years good things come out of silence wonderful things come out of silence and it looks like and it is in some ways a rebuke and a and a, and a judgment from god for his lack of faith but god turns it into this wonderful um fruitful song that comes out of it so possibly in the story nine months later John's born, it's time to pick up, and it's time to name him, and we'll pick up in, let's pick up in verse 57 of chapter chapter 1. We'll read all the way through the end. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she had a son. Then her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her his great mercy, and they rejoiced with her. When they came to circumcise the child on the eighth day, they were going to name him Zachariah after his father, but his mother responded, no, he will be called John. Then they said to her, none of your relatives has that name. So they motioned to his father to find out what he wanted him to be called. He asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they were all amazed. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. Fear came on all those who lived around them. And all these things were being talked about throughout the hill country of Judea. All who heard about him took it to heart saying, what then will this child become? For indeed the Lord's hand was with him. Then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of of those who hate us. He has dealt mercifully with our ancestors and remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. He has given us the privilege, since we have been rescued from the hand of our enemies, to serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness, in his presence all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us, to shine on those 
who live in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. It's an amazing uh, and beautiful and poetic um, song. And whilst it's a praise song, that's, um, it's mostly about Jesus, not about John. Um, and so we're going to look at a few things that stand out from it. I, I read and read and read and read and read this, and I was conflicted over how for us to walk through it. Part of me wanted to just go line by line and just say, just let's look at this, let's look at this. But I'm not going to do that. Uh, we're going to, I'm going to point out a few things that I think this song teaches us about God. Uh, but what I want to say before we dive into that is that this, there have been various views of this uh, prophetic song, various interpretations of it. And I mention it now because it's kind of timely um, with what's going on in the world. When you read these verses, um, different people or Christians have come to different conclusions around what these verses mean and whether, you know, what exactly is Zechariah talking about here? Uh, what's the timeline on the fulfillment of this prophecy? Some people believe that there is a political a kind of um, flavor to this, and that when it speaks about um, God visiting Israel and providing salvation from their enemies and those who hate them, uh, that that is a, a political thing, that God is promising to protect Israel from their enemies and those who hate them. And you can understand why that is a current kind of um, thing. They're still battling it out there. Uh, and who knows how and when that's all going to end or progress or whatever. Um, and so I mention it because when you read things like this and you read uh, songs like this that speak about Israel and their enemies and um, you know, God delivering them and protecting them, it is important. And then you get, so you get people on that side who say, well, this it's political, kind of think, yes, God, Israel are God's favorites, and he's going to establish them and protect them. And that's what's really important, what's happening in the world now, and you need to get behind the cause of Israel and not the Palestinians and whatever else. And, and my hope this morning, you, you're here, is not to wander into the very complex um, uh, drama that is unfolding there. Um, I'm just laying out the options for you here, that you have the people who are like, this is political. Then you have the people who just spiritualize all of this and say, well, it's spiritual enemies. Uh, whenever you read about darkness and enemies and stuff, it's all spiritual. It's, it's, not, it's not physical. Uh, God is delivering Israel from their spiritual uh, enemies, and, he's, and he's, giving them, he's giving them peace, and it's redemption and salvation and all of that, and it's the darkness that they're living in. It's a spiritual kind of darkness. They are a blessed people, but they are blessed in spiritual ways, not in any kind of um, physical thing. And then you get people who are, I suppose I'm moving them maybe into the middle, who are um, spiritual and political. They see multiple things in here. They see a, a partial fulfillment of of, of, this, of this prophetic um, song uh, now and an ultimate fulfillment later. So they'll see it fulfilled spiritually now and politically later. Are you still with me? It doesn't look like anyone's with me. Um, that, that God has delivered Israel from their spiritual enemies now, but will one day deliver them from their political enemies at a future time and establish them in the land, give them peace, rest from all their foes, 
and help them walk in righteousness and peace all their days together with God. And um, so those are kind of the different ways of approaching this. Some of the different ways, there are even more, but I think you've had enough of that uh, already. Um, I mention it because it's important. Your, your view of how you interpret these things plays out in the real world. Um, that's why I mention it. Uh, I've had a lot of people, as you can imagine, emailing me, asking me, how do we pray for what's going on in the world at the moment? When you see what's going on in Israel, how do you pray? Wh- wh- what do you do? Um, and again, my hope is not to wander into this and give a whole sermon on the Israeli um, conflict. This is what you pray for. You pray for peace. That's what you do. You pray for peace. How God brings about peace is up to him. But you pray for peace. You don't have to take sides when you're praying for peace. You don't. And, and you may want to. I know it's tempting to take sides. It's almost like you have to kind of. The world is pushing you to say you either need to get on the side of the uh, Palestinians or you need to get on the side of Israel. You need to pick a team, you know, because there's implications of this. And I would just humbly submit to you that I don't think you need to pick a team. You just need to pray for peace. Because the situation is far more complicated than you or I are able to understand uh, in this. Uh, I'm, not kinda, I'm not even nailing my colors to the mast. I'm nailing my colors to this mast. I pray for peace. Pray for peace. Pray that God would show mercy to the, everyone in that area of the world and that peace would reign. Okay. Well, that was a very long involved introduction. What does this song teach us about God the first thing is that God is a promise keeper he is the promise keeper have a look in verse 7 it says just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us he has dealt mercifully with our ancestors and remembered his holy covenant the oath that he swore to our father Abraham God is the promise keeper it's one of the things that you see again and again, not just in the Advent season, all the way through Scripture. God is the one who says it of himself, that he is the promise keeper. And I mention that because it's really important. Let's have a look. It says he, he kept, verse 73, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. What was the oath that he swore to his their father Abraham? Genesis 22. Uh, this is probably, I think, the most succinct summary of it. Genesis 22, verse 16. God speaking, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Zechariah sees in the coming of Jesus a fulfillment of this prophecy, of this promise to Abraham. And I mean, there's a lot in that. Um, I don't want to focus on everything, but the, the, the blessing, offspring, all nations, through your offspring, all nations on the earth will be blessed. I want to remind us again that that is the whole plan. That's God's plan for the church, that from one man, Abraham, all of his offspring, carrying on through the church, all the nations of the earth, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. God does not have a favorite nation. It's not America. It's not Israel. There is a different way God does deal with Jewish people. I will acknowledge that. 
we'll see it playing out in the future. I'm not going to wander too much into that. It's different. But God doesn't have favorites of nations. He loves the nations of the world. And he wants, through the church, all the nations of the earth to be blessed. That's always been the plan. And every time we see it, I want to provoke us and press our buttons and say, what are we doing? What are we doing to make sure that every nation of the earth is blessed with the message of the gospel? You can pray, you can give, you can go. You've got to be involved because it's the grand plan. It's God's plan is that the nations would be blessed through us. But here is the reminder that God is a promise keeper. It's taken a while for this promise to come to fulfillment, hasn't it? That promise to Abraham is a very long ago promise. And Zechariah realizes in this prophetic, Holy Spirit-inspired song of his, that this is happening. It's happening. God is visiting us now, and it's going to be through um, this son that's going to be born, the Savior, that all these nations will be blessed. God may be slow in keeping his promises, but he does keep his promises. And I want to encourage you as we come to Advent, to another Christmas, at the end of another year, God keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. He is the promise keeper. He may be slow, but he keeps his promises. The second thing we learn about God in this is that Jesus is salvation. Very simply put, Luke loves the word salvation. You see it all in, uh, in his gospel. He uses it more than any other gospel writer, and he uses it in the book of Acts. Salvation, salvation, salvation. Salvation from what? From enemies. It says, um, verse 71, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. From those who hate us. We don't often talk about this kind of language, do we? I mean, but it's there in the Bible that you have enemies and people who hate you. And this is where it gets confusing. Are these actual people or are these spiritual forces that hate you? And I would say, I think it's a bit of both. It's definitely spiritual, but I think it's also um your real enemies. Um, God is a deliverer. Jesus is the Savior, and he is able to provide salvation for us from uh, our enemies, but uh, probably more powerfully because I think the song speaks more into it from our sins. And Zechariah mentions what John would do in verse 77. You see it. This is to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. It's... it's um. It's a strange thing um, these days to talk about the forgiveness of sins. I know we're in church and we're just like, no, oh, it's not that strange. I mean, we come here. But, you know, it's maybe not that strange for you, but just, you know, at your family Christmas lunch uh, or bri or whatever it is, just bring up the topic um, casually, as one does, of, of the sins um, represented around the table kind of thing and, and what everyone else's plan is to deal with their various sins. Yeah. <laughs> Lunch going down like a lead balloon. Uh, you'll realize very quickly that the the concept of sin is a very outdated concept. No one yeah, there are there isn't a world out there wandering around this morning, not in church thinking, I'm a sinner, what if only I knew what to do with my sin. I'm such a bad person, you know? The concept of sin has been sort of washed out of our culture. Now people make mistakes. They have character lapses. 
Um, there's a lot of different language um, that's crept into culture to erase the word and the concept of sin, which is difficult and terrifying because the Bible has hope for sinners. It has hope for sinners, a good news for sinners. It doesn't have much for people who make mistakes. You need to use the Bible's language because then it's good news. Jesus is hope for sinners. But the whole concept of the fact that people sin and the people that you love or long to um, sit next to you in church, we need to find different ways to communicate um, their need for a Savior, their need for Jesus. See, if you, if people, until people realize their need, and this is a provocation to pray that eyes are opened, because I don't know if you've shared with anyone recently around um, you know, the message of the gospel, but unless people see their need for it, it doesn't actually sound like good news. If you, if you offered me a lift now to the emergency room, you know, I'd be like, okay, cool, like we can go there, but I don't, I don't feel like I need the emergency room now. But if I, if something happened to me, and I was in need of the emergency room, and then you offered me a lift, then I'd be very grateful. It would be good news for me, you know, it, it, unless people feel that need or experience their their distance from God. And sometimes it's circumstantial life's happening to people and they feel like, oh, but, but, but God is not just the need meter. He, he's not just the one who comes alongside, no, it's going to be okay, you're going through a tough time, let me help you. If we, if we only put that picture of God to people, we are making God like, out to be like the genie in the sky. He exists to make your life better and to help you through your struggles and to help you with your boss and your finances and your health and your kids and whatever else. The message of the, of the gospel, of the Bible, is that it's the message, there it is, for the forgiveness of sins, that they would have the knowledge of where their sins are forgiven. Because that's our greatest need, is to have our eyes open and realize we are not reconciled to God. There is a sin issue. There's a sin separation. And that, they need, that needs to be dealt with so that we are reconciled to God. It's not to make our lives better. I've said this many times. Your life may get worse. If you're not a Christian, yeah, this morning, this is just sort of the whole advertising kind of thing, no false advertising. If you're not yet a Christian, when you become a Christian, your life may get worse. It may get more difficult. You may be more miserable. You may struggle from now until the end. It may happen. Because the Bible doesn't make any promises that your life is going to get much better or easy or comfortable. The Bible promises that you will have your sins forgiven, be indwelt with the Holy Spirit, and experience a peace and the presence of God that nothing else can take from you. And that your eternity is secure with Him. But it doesn't promise comfort in this life. It promises forgiveness of sins. And that is what Zechariah is prophesying and what he gets so juiced about here. He says, hey, John is going to be doing this. He's coming to share and give people the knowledge of salvation through their sins. And, and, and only God has the power for this. And Zechariah describes Jesus as being the, the horn of salvation. The horn of salvation. The horn is the symbol, the Old Testament symbol of power and victory. Power and victory. And Jesus is like this indestructible uh, horn. It's a sure thing. One thing you'll notice as you read this is that at least the first part of it, Zechariah is speaking in the past tense. He has, he has, he has. Jesus hasn't even been born yet. 
Okay, this is John arriving. Jesus is in, hasn't even been born yet. And Zechariah is speaking in past tense. God has done this, has done this, has done this. This is the certainty of biblical faith, that you can speak about future things that are going to happen as if they happened in past tense. I didn't study English at school properly, so tenses confuse me, comprehension. But this I can read and see, okay, this is written in the past tense, but these things are still going to happen. And that's what biblical faith does. It's an absolute certainty. These things haven't yet happened, but he speaks about them uh, with such certainty. The third thing, not just salvation, but the third thing is that God's mercy shines on us. And this most beautiful um, wording at the end of the song, verse 78, because, because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. What Zechariah is quoting is Isaiah chapter 9. If you take your notes, this is, this is almost a direct quotation from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 says this, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. This is beautiful language that Zechariah uses here that describes Jesus as being like a sunrise. Like the people are living in, in, in darkness, staggering around in the shadow of death. Doesn't, it's not a pretty picture. And yet, as they stumble around in, in the darkness, the sun starts to rise. The coming of Jesus into the world is the bringing of light into the world in the most astounding ways. I, I appreciate this because I have some kind of condition where I can't see in the dark. And I don't know if it actually has a name. Maybe one of the doctors will come and tell me. But I can't see when when it's dark. Like when Claire and I go to the movies, we have an arrangement. Every now and then she reneges on it. But she, she's not allowed to leave me because I can't see where I'm going. Like... And I don't want to be that person with a torch that's humbling, you know, like, sorry, sorry, sorry. So I'll hold her hand, and then she leads me to our seats where we're going to sit kind of thing, and then we sit down. But because until then, I, I can honestly, I can't see a thing in the dark. And so when I read something like this, it's just stumbling around in the darkness and the shadow of death. Well, it's not, that's, it's not as dramatic, you know, going to, obviously going to the movies, but not being able to see not being able to see is a disconcerting thing. Not being able to see spiritually is even more disconcerting. And that's where this is a spiritual thing. It's like the people that we know and that we love who aren't here with us this morning, and maybe maybe some of you who are sitting here this morning who haven't yet placed your faith in Jesus, this is your current condition. Unable to see. Still staggering around in darkness. And the hope of Advent and of Christmas and of Jesus coming into the world is this, that the light has come. The sun has risen on those who stagger around in darkness. For what purpose? To guide our feet into the way of peace. We can see. Because the light has risen, now we can see and our feet can walk in the way of peace. And, and, and why did it happen? It says because of if you've got an NIV translation, I think it translates because of the tender mercy of our God, which is actually, I'd prefer that translation. The CSB says, um, because of our God's merciful compassion. Because of God's merciful compassion. That's why the light dawned. That's why the Son of God came. It's because God is merciful and God has had compassion 
on the world. Not because the world deserved it, not because you deserve it, not because you're a good person, not because you had potential, because God is rich in mercy and he has had compassion on us. It's, it's the most um, eternally significant act. It changes everything that God, who's rich in mercy, sends his son to become the sunrise and to shine light on us so that we can walk in the way of peace. Peace with God and peace with others. I mentioned, I, I was reminded of a sermon I preached a couple of weeks ago around living at peace with everyone as far as possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do you remember that? Oh, somebody. Um, and as I read that again here, it's like, oh, to guard our feet in the path of peace. And I was provoked to get and say, hey, how's that going? How's that going? I never ever normally reference previous sermons, but I wanted to bring it back again and say, hey, have you taken any steps? Where as far as possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And a couple of people messaged me and said, I've actually had to get on the phone. I've had to have organize a meeting, which is very encouraging. Maybe there's some of the rest of you who heard that. You felt convicted, but you got over it. You know, you shook it off like a cold. It's like, oh gosh, thank goodness. Now I'm done through that. I want to remind you again that this is God's plan is that as far as it depends on us, as far as possible, we live at peace. Peace with God, that's something God establishes with us, but peace with others. The whole point of Jesus coming into the world is that we would be a peaceful people. We'd experience peace with God, but peace with each other. It's a wonderful thing to live at peace with others. As we close, listen to this promise that Zechariah mentions in chapter, in verse 74. He says, Since we have been rescued from the hand of our enemies to serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness, in his presence for all our days. This is what the coming of Jesus establishes, that we get to serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness, in his presence all our days. And there is a partial fulfillment of that now. A part, we get to do this in part because, you know, it's a foretaste of what's coming. But this is our great hope, that one day we will fully and finally, without any fear, in holiness and righteousness, serve God in his presence all of our days. But we do get to taste it now. This is one of these wonderful passages that's about the now or the not yet, that now we get to experience some of the fulfillment of this prophecy, some of the liberation and protection from our enemies, some of this um, holiness and righteousness in God's presence all of our days, but it banks for us this promise that this is going to be our future. This is what we were made for, and it's wonderful. I want to give us a couple of minutes just to sit and be quiet and to reflect on what God may be saying to you today, and then I'm going to lead us in prayer as we um, close and then we'll sing together. Let's uh, come and sit before the Lord and wait on his voice to us.
some questions to help us as we reflect this morning. What, what, what promises are you needing to believe again from God? For those who, who've struggled to trust him, doubt is crept in. Is he faithful? Is he true to his word? Ask, ask for grace to believe again in the God who faithfully keeps his promises. What's, what sins need confessing? Jesus is our salvation. It's in him that we find forgiveness of sin. Our sinful condition, but also our sins. What is the Holy Spirit bringing to mind and to your attention this morning, even from this past week, that needs confessing and repenting of? This is our great joy, and this is how we make progress and show maturity as believers. It's it's not that we sin less; it's just that we we're quicker to turn back to God, to confess things, and to repent and ask for His cleansing, power, and His help and strength. Come to Jesus again. Father, we worship you uh, this morning. Thank you for sending Jesus uh, into the world. Thank you for, uh, as your word says, you, you, you have visited, God has visited us. We could never get to you. We could never make our way to you, but you came into our world Jesus, you are the sunrise that has broken through the darkness. And it's now by that light that we see everything. We're able to see because the sun has risen on us. And we don't have to stagger around in darkness anymore. Our feet can walk in the way of peace because you have shone the light and you've made us spiritually alive and able to see and we thank you for that. Left to our own, we'd still be in darkness. We'd still be living under the shadow and the fear of death. But in your great mercy, you have shone that light on us. And we worship you and thank you for that this morning. Just want to rejoice in your goodness. And, and whilst this season of the year is about so many so many other things. It's about family and friends and, and parties and gifts and holidays. We pray, Father, that you would help us to fix our heart on the one who has visited us, visited us from on high, in whom all of our hope and our confidence is in, for of the forgiveness of our sins, for our future hope and eternity, for our current joy. We pray that this season would be one where we just we just dwell in your presence. We really 
um, are have hearts and minds fixated on on Jesus and celebrating um, Him coming into the world, rescuing us, the rescue from heaven. We worship you this morning, Jesus, and we we don't have the right words to adequately express our gratitude and our thanks, but we offer our lives again as living sacrifices to you. In thanksgiving for a God who has loved us in the way that nobody else could love us, we worship you this morning. Amen. Amen.